0: If you have a Bible today, you can maybe turn to the book of Romans and chapter 1, from which we read together this morning, Romans and chapter number 1. And this morning we want to consider together the 18th verse of this first chapter, Our anger eh, can be caused or our wrath can be caused by many different activities within us. Perhaps physical sometimes, psychological, sometimes emotional, sometimes spiritual reasons cause us to be angry. Sometimes it's purely physical. We haven't been able to sleep last night and any little irritation puts us on edge. And our anger can be caused purely by that loss of physical sleep, or perhaps it's psychological. I was reading some studies of the connection between depression and anger, and the strong relation there is between those two experiences within a person. Sometimes it's a psychological cause for our anger. Sometimes. It's an emotional cause. You're in the, the deacon's meeting or the, the session meeting or your work meeting and your opinion, your idea, which you have cherished and refined and advanced, is not been listening to, listened to or respected. And, and you get annoyed and, and angered by being overlooked in that meeting, congregated for new ideas and a fresh plan. Or perhaps... It is a spiritual cause of your anger that you look around at our society and its drift away from God and this angers you at the dishonor being brought to your God. And today in our studies of Romans we come to this, this really important verse that is crucial for us to, to dwell on and suck out the relevance and importance of it for our lives at this time. It comes at the the end of this chain that we've been identifying in verses 16, 17, and 18 of five links. The apostle repeatedly uses this connection, connecting word, for he is eager to preach the gospel in Rome, for he is not ashamed of, of the gospel. For it is the power of God to salvation. For the righteousness of God is revealed in it. And now the last link is. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. In other parts of Romans in our studies. At this time we will move rapidly. But in this dense part we're, we're moving rather slowly and and the the more I study Romans, uh, the more I think that Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones has spent 13 years in Romans, didn't spend long enough, such as its density, relevance and mind-altering perspective for our time, our life, our world. And coming to verse 18, we're coming to a, a new section in the book of Romans And in this section, it's simply put, and we'll see the nuances as we travel through it, the Apostle is arguing for the the sinfulness of all mankind. And in this first chapter to the end of the chapter, he argues for the sinfulness of the Gentiles. And then in chapter 2 and 3, verse 8, the sinfulness of the Jews. And then from verse 9 to 20, the sinfulness of of all of, of mankind. But today we come to see how he begins this by looking at at God's wrath. We want to think of what is God's wrath. Secondly, when is God's wrath? And thirdly, why is God's wrath? Let's think first of all today of what is God's wrath? I wasn't long here in Newton Arts when uh, a member of, of one of the churches complained to me that his minister didn't preach enough about hell or about the wrath of God. I, I don't know if that was right or not, but here we are today uh, and we're thinking uh, of, this, of this subject. What is God's wrath? I think it's important for you to know that in the Old Testament God's wrath is referred to 223 times. This is not a a peripheral attribute of God. It's a fundamental one. It's at the very center of His being. And as we come to, to think of God's wrath we're asking What is it and how is it connected to the previous verse? We're not to think of God's wrath in the the way we think of one another's wrath. Usually some explosions, some of out of control expression of emotion. We talk about losing the head or flying off the handle. That there are those negative expressions of wrath in us. God's wrath and conformity to to all of his attributes is wise, is controlled, is pure, is righteous. So what is it? John Murray gives us a, a short and helpful definition. He says it's the holy revulsion of God's being against that which is the contradiction of his holiness. God's holy revulsion against anything that is the contradiction of his moral attributes. And so it's more than what Mark Jones in his wonderfully helpful book about God allows. He says it's an expression of his outward will, not his material being, but we're arguing that it is part of his material being, part of who God is, This revulsion against contradictions to his moral attributes. So how is it related to verse 17? You see, there is a relation, isn't there? The apostle begins again with this word for. He's spoken about the gospel and the righteousness in it. And he continues on his logic, his reason with the word for. And he uses the same word, doesn't he? The righteousness of God in verse 17 is revealed. And now the wrath of God is revealed. He's wanting us to make a connection between the two verses. Thomas Schreiner thinks that the connection is that God's wrath is an expression of his righteousness referred to in verse 17. And so... God's righteousness is revealed and here is one expression of it, Schreiner argues, the wrath of God. But but we have argued that God's righteousness in verse 17 is not his moral attributes so much, but rather it is that righteousness which he imputes to sinners when they believe that we are justified, made righteous by faith in God's sight. And so it must be some other connection that we're to see between verse 17 and verse 18. And surely it's connecting into this bigger chain that the apostle is establishing. He wants to preach in Rome, he's not ashamed of the gospel. And why is he not ashamed? Because it's good news, God's righteousness revealed, but there's another driver, there's another motive. There's another compelling force within his being and that is the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. He wants to preach in that city the good news because the wrath of God is on unbelieving sinners in the city of Rome. We need to retain this side of God Alongside of the bright gospel, there is the dark wrath of God. Liberal theologians and modern scholars would argue that we can't hold those two things together. An educated understanding of the God of heaven loses this idea of his wrath and majors on this idea of his love. But here they are, side by side, in Romans 1. In one group of verses speaking about the gospel and the righteousness which he imputes, but in the very next verse, speaking about his wrath, his judgment, his condemnation. See, it's Dodd. He argued that what Paul thought was God's wrath was, was actually just the inevitable working out of cause and effect in the moral universe. For example, Ananias, as he lied about the selling of his land and he was caught out, he was so overcome with a sense of shame that his heart gave way and he, he fell down in the location in which he was situated. But the apostle is wanting us to see that beyond any Means which God uses, there is this greater overriding governance of God that His wrath is revealed from heaven against ungodliness and unrighteousness among men. What is God's wrath? It is His holy revulsion against anything. That is, opposed to his moral character. But secondly, let us think about when is God's wrath. And usually when we think of, of God's wrath, we think of the judgment day. And it's not wrong for us to think of the end of the world and the judgment day. We have the expression, you'll meet your maker. I, I remember uh, a man that uh, was, was not renowned for his moral principles, but he bought a car and the engine in this car was not good and he went back to the owner to get his money back and the owner refused to give him the money back and this man, not renowned for his moral principles, told the seller, you will meet your maker. And we think of a day of judgment and a day of reckoning as we we see atrocities within the world and Paul does as well. In the next chapter in verse 5, Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And so there is a a real sense that that God's wrath will appear at the end of the world when he judges the nations and, and we stand before him. In chapter 2 verse 8 as well he says but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness there will be wrath and fury. We talk about today being a, a day of grace a day of salvation a day of mercy and the future being the day of the Lord the day of wrath. And so this point and this answer is important that the Apostle is is not just asserting in chapter 2 and and other places that there will be a a future day of wrath, but in this place he's asserting that God's wrath is in the present, that his judgments are now. We argue for this from the present tense in, in which he, he uses this phrase, the wrath of God is being revealed. We argue from this, from the, the parallel expression in verse 17, the righteousness of God is being revealed. We recognize that, that now in the gospel, that righteousness of God is being made known. And if we recognize the presence of that good news, we've also to recognize the presence of God. Of this bad news. The wrath of God is currently being revealed. There are many other places in scripture where this point is supported, isn't there? We think in the Old Testament of those judgments of God. And the earth and the flood. And Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament. We think of the sons of Korah. There are these many instances of God intervening in this world, in this time, and bringing judgments now. We think, too, of the imprecatory Psalms calling on God to intervene in judgments, some of which we were singing today. And there the psalmist is not looking for God's judgment to come in the future but rather in the present for circumstances to be altered and changed for God's intervention and judgment to arrive in his lifetime. There are other clear passages of Scripture which claim that God's wrath is being revealed at this time. The Bible asserts that Everyone who is outside of Jesus Christ, who has not repented and believed in Jesus, is under god 's wrath john three thirty six whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him ephesians two one and three you were dead in trespasses and sins, and you were children of wrath, even as the rest of mankind. Paul uses this as a motivation for the gospel and, and you and I should as well to our classmates, to our community everyone in my class everyone in my street who is not a Christian in this time, in this moment they are under God's wrath and as Paul thinks of Rome he is driven Motivated, desirous to go to that city, for the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. What is God's wrath? When is God's wrath? And thirdly, why is God's wrath? Why is God angry in this present time? What is the cause? of his wrath. And and it is, as we were saying uh, to the children, that we have broken his law, this extension of his character, this revelation of his moral attributes encased in the Ten Commandments, how he lives and how he desires and commands that we live. The two phrases in verse 18 at the end, ungodliness and unrighteousness, have from the early church father's time been understood of the two tables of the law. Ungodliness referring to the first table of the law and a relation to God. Unrighteousness referring to the second table of the law and a relation to one another. God's wrath is currently being revealed on everyone outside of Christ characterized by breaking the first table of the law and breaking the second table of the law. But you're sitting there and you're saying, well, I thought chapter 1 was about the Gentiles and they didn't have God's law written in the scrolls which the Jews had. So how can God's wrath be against them? who didn't have that written record of God's requirements. The last phrase in verse 18 helps us there, and and we'll expand on it this evening. They hold the truth in unrighteousness. Hold here means to suppress the truth, perhaps to hold down the truth. In a, by their, their their unrighteous deeds they prefer the, the unrighteous ways the, the ways that are contrary eh, to the second table of the law and engaging in those practices which God forbids they suppress the truth or it could be that they hold alongside the truth the truth in one hand the unrighteousness in the other hand they, they hold both things but the point is that the truth is in them. But they're suppressing that truth. Here are people who have never read the Bible, people who have never held a scroll in their hand, people who have never heard the Ten Commandments, and yet they have the truth. We will see in our studies they have doctrinal truth. They they know something about God and his existence and his character. They know ethical truth. The apostle eh, will emphasize at the very end of this chapter, he says, they know God's decree. They do know right from wrong. They have a conscience. They have values. There are virtues implanted within them. God By making them in his image, God, by his revelation and creation, has conveyed to them truth. Doctrinal truth. Ethical truth. They have truth. We'll see in verse 20, the apostle says they're without excuse. Calvin describes uh, this kind of truth which all mankind has that exists in the human mind, he says, and indeed by natural instincts, some sense of deity. We hold to be beyond dispute, he argues, since God himself, to prevent any man from pretending ignorance, has endued all men with some idea of his godhood, and memory of which he constantly renews and occasionally enlarges. The truth is there. That there is a God. That that God is powerful. That that God is good. The truth is there in every heart, in every life, in every conscience. There is a sense of right, a sense of wrong, but it's being suppressed. And this is the cause of God's wrath. There's no injustice. There's no unfairness here. What is wrath is? this revulsion against what is contrary to his moral character. You and I being made in the image of God should be characterized by wrath and anger as well. It's an incendiary device, isn't it? It's really hard to to hold anger, to control anger, to to manage anger. Just talk to any parent, any teacher, any person at all. We really struggle. Anger comes with this warning in the Bible. Be angry and do not sin. Because often it spills over into a defective and, 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 and tainted emotion. We often go too far in our words... Or in our actions when we're angry. But perhaps far more of us. Don't go far enough. With our anger. Perhaps so many things in our society. In our life. In our family. We let slide by. Without getting irked. Without any righteous indignation being shown. Here is God in heaven looking down upon people across the world. And his emotion of wrath is is being aroused. He responds to the ungodliness and unrighteousness of our society. What about the constant use of human trafficking? Does it anger you? What about the lone sharks in local communities? Does it irk you? What about Becker being sent to jail? Did you feel any righteous indignation or did you let him off because he's a celebrity? The when of God's anger. We often stamp out any thought that sickness and sin is connected, don't we? We avoid trying to tie up any specific sin to any specific illness in people's lives and and Jesus warns us about doing that, doesn't he? All sickness is the result of sin but not always the result of a specific sin. And often we we will try and, and comfort people and assure people that their suffering is not connected to any specific sin. But perhaps sometimes it is. God. Is working. In our time. In our world. His wrath is being revealed. Against all. Ungodliness and unrighteousness. In our society. And in the Bible we have. Many instances. Of specific sin. And specific suffering. Miriam and. Aaron, speaking against Moses, were struck with leprosy. There's a sin and a suffering directly linked. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, that city of 2,000 people, says, many among you are sick and, and suffering and some have even died. And he links their sin to their suffering. But on the other hand, those of you who are healthy and wealthy shouldn't think that God's blessing is on you no matter how you live. Wealth and health is no sign of God's approval in our society or in this world. Scripture is our guide and Scripture is teaching us this morning that God's wrath is currently being revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness among men. The why of God's wrath. Do you need to repent of your attitude to God today? Have you been angered by the thought that those who've never heard the gospel will go to hell Have you thought that that is unrighteous, that that is unfair? And yet this verse and the subsequent verses assure us that all people have the truth. That God has ensured that there is true knowledge in every person so that they are without excuse. There is no unfairness or unrighteousness in God whatsoever. Perhaps you need to repent of your attitude God today. Perhaps you need to repent of the fact that you not only have this general revelation in nature and in your conscience, but also the special revelation in God's word. You know the life of Jesus, his purpose in coming, his death for sinners, his resurrection. You have piled up within your heart revelation after revelation and still You have not repented and come to Jesus Christ. Or perhaps you need to repent today of your doubts of the faithfulness of God's promise. You hear of God's wrath in the present time. You think of God's wrath in the future. And you doubt that you're ready to meet God even though you believed in Jesus. You need to repent of your doubting of the promises of God. He says in chapter 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. In chapter 5, you need to listen to his logic. He says, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved from his wrath? God has done the big thing in making us Christians. He'll do the little thing and bringing us into heaven. The what of God's wrath. The when of God's wrath. The why of God's wrath. Imagine being in a family of Jews in their last night in Egypt. The angel of death was to pass through the land that night And only blood and faith in God's promise would preserve the oldest boy in the family. Can you imagine being there? The tension, the fear, the doubt, the wondering, the staring at the oldest son. Is he getting woozy? Is there a sweat on his brow? Is he feeling unwell? Will he be safe? Will he get through this moment did we put the blood in the right place? Did we put enough blood for the angel of death to see all the doubts, all the wonderings, but nonetheless, simple faith, weak faith in God's promise and in the blood of the Lamb? As we leave church today, God's wrath is all around us in Newton arts, revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man and woman but if you're in Jesus you're safe